Just going back to our coverage of the RT story and to clarify, there are no more Grant Thornton reports to come in relation to RTE. The next report is the Expert Advisor Committee on Governance and Culture. And the terms of reference of the Remuneration Committee were published on the RT website in September of last year and are publicly available. Now, in less than two weeks, on Friday, March the 8th, you'll be asked to vote in two referendums on family and care. We'll debate the amendment shortly with Louise Crowley, Professor of Family Law at UCC, and by writer Maria Steen. But first, what are the proposed changes? Here's this week's Elaine Devlin. The Family Amendment concerns two articles of the Constitution, Articles 41.11 and 41.31. The Family Amendment will be on a white ballot paper and there's one vote for two proposed changes. Now, the current wording is as follows, okay, for 41.11. The state recognises the family as the natural, primary and fundamental unit group of society and as a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights, antecedent and superior to all positive law. The suggested change is for Article 41.1.1. The state recognises the family, whether founded on marriage or on other durable relationships, as the natural primary and fundamental unit group of society and as a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights, antecedent and superior to all positive law. As regards Article 41.31, the current wording is The state pledges itself to guard with special care the institution of marriage on which the family is founded and to protect it against attack. The suggested change involves deleting some text. So the new version would be the state pledges itself to guard with special care the institution of marriage and to protect it against attack. Okay, that's the family amendment. What about the care amendment? What's the proposal there? Well, the Care Amendment proposes deleting the two articles, 41.21 and 41.22, and inserting a new article, 42b. Now, the Care Amendment will be on a green-coloured ballot paper. The current wording of the two articles is as follows. 41.21. In particular, the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. And Article 41.22 says... The state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. The proposal is to delete those two and insert a new article 42b with the following wording. The state recognises that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them gives to society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and shall strive to support such provision. That's Elaine Devlin. Now, before we discuss the issues of the referendums, our reporter Gavin O'Callaghan was in Bray on Friday and he asked people what they know about the referendums and how they might vote. I have to look, read about it. I got it. It came in by post and I haven't read it, but it's something to do with women in the house is the first one. And the other then is about the government. So that's a... <laughs> Just a hardy one about the government. <laughs> so, do you have an idea which way you might vote? Yes. I ha- well, I have an idea. Yes, I have. Yeah. 
tell and you. I'm not going to tell you. Oh, good, no. That's very personal. You don't want to know that. And do you want to tell that fella who you're going to vote? No. No. I wouldn't tell that. I wouldn't tell that to me. wouldn't tell that to, to God. Do you know what the referendums are about? I don't. No. You, you don't. And I'm not voting either. You won't vote? No, I'm 74 and I'm not going near it. Didn't even know it was coming up till the post came in. That's how much I know. <laughs> not great help for you. Anyway. <laughs> No, I'm not into politics at all. You know, not into so do you know what way you're going to vote? Or could you even tell me what they're about? Got it and they'll make a decision then, you they know. vote no and all those things, you know. Well, you have to vote no, yeah. yeah. Do you, don't do you, go, you don't go by what the government tells you, you know. Do you know what it's about? Oh, I know what it's about, all right, yeah. It's something to do with the mother and the family as well. And they're trying to get rid of the mother out of the constitution. It's about changing the constitution. About the family, isn't it? To include all types of families I think not just marriage as far as I know (laughs) that's the extent of my knowledge and do you know what way you're going to vote yes or have you thought about it much yeah no I'd probably vote yes for that yeah family's a family do you know what the referendums are about Um, I haven't really looked into it fully yet but um, watch the debate on Monday evening so hopefully hopefully (laughs) hopefully I'll get a bit more informed before I um, vote another couple of weeks to think but um, I can't see a huge difference in the... It's just a matter of wording and making it more up-to-date, I think, as far as I know. Do you know what the referendums are about? Yeah, vote now. Vote now. <laughs> yes. And why? Do you want to tell me why? When the, when the Constitution was written back in 1937, it was at a time when the concept of woman, the concept of the home, the concept of a family was completely different imbued by values and uh, experiences, I suppose, of that time and the people who are around it. Now, Ireland has changed completely since then. Ireland is a totally different place. And I think we need to reflect that in the vocabulary and in the way in which it's put across. And it may not be perfect, but it is expressing what people of Ireland in 2024 feel and think. You know, so, and I think that's what's good about the referendum. You know. That's People in Bray with our reporter Gavin O'Callaghan. Let's hear the arguments for and against both referendums now. Louise Crowley is Professor of Family Law at UCC. She's arguing in favour of both amendments. That's yes to both. She's in our Cork studio. Writer, former barrister, now stay-at-home mother Maria Steen is arguing against both amendments, no to both, and she's sitting in front of me. You're both very welcome to this week today. Louise Crowley, I'm going to turn to you first. We're going to deal with both amendments separately and start with the change on family, the proposal to expand the definition of the family to recognise those based on durable relationships, in quotes. What are durable relationships? Hi, Gavin. Uh, Yeah, a good place to start. So a durable relationship um, is not defined in the referendum wording, as we know. Uh, And some people are finding this problematic, but I certainly have no issue with the concept of durable relationship. What it seeks to do is to recognise and to acknowledge um, the value that a relationship that is committed and supportive to the members of that family unit and contributing positively to society um, and how we explore whether a relationship is a durable relationship is not entirely 
entirely foreign to, to the courts. And so this matter, if, if challenged, would be addressed uh, by our judiciary, which would be typical of the interpretation of our constitution, where specifics are rarely given and left for the courts to determine in light of whatever is before them and also in light of social norms. So we have looked at what is a committed relationship, for example, in uh, cohabiting relationships. And, and what is explored is the nature of the relationship um, socially, um, in terms of an intimate relationship, sexually, but also financially and the care that the parties give each other. So when you look at a durable relationship, it's examining the, the functioning of that relationship. So rather than simply looking at the form, which is marriage, so by very v- virtue of the fact that you've entered into a marital ceremony that you are deserving of an elevated status, rather we're looking at the functioning of the relationship and does it fulfil that positive contribution that the Constitution speaks of? The family uh, founded on marriage or on other durable relationships, Maria Steen, wh- why do you reject that change? Well, for two reasons, I suppose, as Louise has said, this uh, phrase durable relationships is not defined uh, in what is being put before the people. And I don't think that it's a good thing that the judiciary should be left to the judiciary to decide this is something that the people should know in advance what exactly they're voting on. And secondly, because I think that um, a publicly declared lifelong commitment between two people who are potentially raising children together is a good thing. I think it's good for children, it's good for men, it's good for women and it's good for society. The Supreme Court has repeatedly talked about the stability that marriage brings to society. So they're the reasons that I am voting no on this one. Louise Crowley, what what difference will this change to the Constitution make, if any, to one parent families or couples who aren't married? I think it would be hugely significant, Gavin. I mean, we must recognise that in the Ireland of today that we have uh, such a wonderful uh, uh, diversity of families um, in our society. All of them, uh, where they function in a positive way, are good things, as Maria said, for society. And we shouldn't limit the positivity that family units can bring to society uh, simply because they are a marital unit. And I mean, I, you know, I suppose I should say that. So when I've been lecturing in family law for the last 20 plus years in UCC and the students before me, uh, in 2024, for example, are coming from disparate family groups and they have grown up in a society where equality matters and where autonomy matters and where valuing positive contribution matters. And they're literally quite stunned when we start our lectures in September and I tell them that those families are not recognised in our constitution. Those families are treated differently than a married family. And this is in the context of 2022 census data that tells us data that tells us that there's 220,000 one-parent families in Ireland and 100 80,000 cohabiting couples, many of whom have children and bringing those children up in a loving environment. And yet, because of Article 41 of our constitution, they are identified as less deserving and of less status than a married family, which simply is unconscionable in in this day and age. Maria Steen? The fact of the matter is that the state in its laws recognises currently all different kinds of families, lone parent families, uh, non-marital family units. And this has been highlighted by the recent O'Mara judgment. Um, What the constitution does in fairness, is it recognises or gives gives a special place of honour to marriage. Now, you might ask, why does the Constitution do that? And the fact of the matter is it does that because of the benefits of a lifelong public commitment. Now, we can all agree that committed relationships are a good thing. And there are many couples out there who are not married who are in committed relationships. But there are also couples out there who are not married 
because they don't want to commit to one another. And the fact of the matter is the lack of clarity around this phrase durable relationships could mean that, for instance, after a relationship breakup, one one party to the relationship decides, well, you know, I think I sacrificed a lot in that relationship. I think it was a durable relationship. And they go to court to get a declaration that they were in a durable relationship. And the other person could find themselves, in effect, in a de facto marriage uh, with it, b- constituting a, a constitutional family with all the rights and duties that brings. And people need to ask themselves, is that something they really want to find themselves in? The benefit to marriage is that there is clarity and certainty about it. Everybody knows where they stand because of the nature of the public commitment to it. Uh, you know, the, the state knows, uh, recognises the, the, the couple's commitment uh, and each party to it has consented. And this is about consent. You know, does a, a dating couple who are not consenting to marriage want to find either one or other party find themselves in a de facto marriage. Louise Crowley, unforeseen knock-on effects? Yeah, if I could comment on that, I I think it's really important to recognise that whilst a durable relationship, which by the way, not being defined, is not a new issue. Proper provision for determining divorce cases is not defined by our constitution because it is simply impossible to do so because of the importance of discretion in family law and the courts have handled that and continue to handle that really well. It would be the same here for the concept of of durable relationships. But what I want to say about the example that Maria gave is that the durable relationship, be it a cohabiting relationship or a one-parent family, will be given constitutional status where its contribution is recognised and acknowledged in the constitution. But the rights and duties that arise from the nature of the relationship are governed separately by, if it's a marriage, the Family Law Divorce Act or the Judicial Separation Legislation, or if the example that Maria gave of the cohabiting couple who've chosen not to marry, they are separately already governed by the 2010 Act for cohabitants. So it's not fair to say that cohabiting couple could suddenly be treated and given all the rights of a married couple because that's simply provided for separately quite rightly by the Oireachtas. Except that if they gain new constitutional rights they can always challenge that legislation, Louise. Except being regarded as a durable relationship does not in itself give rights, it gives status. The legislation then deals with those rights. Yes, but you know, I saw that you uh, approved of a thread by Professor Oren Doyle, who's a constitutional expert, who talked about durable relationships being um, judged, if you like, on a par or relative to marriage. Uh, in other words, that it would be a, a marriage-like relationship. If that's the case and marriage brings with it certain rights as well as duties, Well, then so do other durable relationships if this constitutional amendment goes through. And the other thing that I'd like to say as well is that there has been some discussion about, you know, there have been discussion about throuples and so on. Now, the government has said that they will not be included, presumably because of what Professor Doyle was talking about, that this uh, durable relationships would be, if if you like, judged relative to marriage. But that cuts both ways. If throuples are out... Well, then so are single parents because they are not in a marriage-like relationship. And I think that's a big problem. Briefly to respond to that before we move on to the next uh, referendum. Yeah, I think the important point here is that um, the courts will make an adjudication based on social norms in Ireland and social principles and values. And for that reason, troubles are not going to be acknowledged. No, but single parents are The contribution and the relationship of a single parent to the child is a durable relationship of care and love, just like a grandparent to a child, as has been confirmed by the European Court of Human Rights repeatedly in relation to... Article 8 of the European Convention. So this is nothing new. It's just a reasonable and fair and just 
very justifiable recognition of the value of all types of close family relationships and those who deserve respect, irrespective of whether or not there is a marital ceremony. And that is fundamental to equality principles upon which our, our laws and our society is founded. But the issue is that if single parents aren't in a durable relationship, then they're not covered by this. Let's turn specifically to the care proposal. This is replacing language around duties of women in the home with a new article which will say that the state, quote, shall strive to support care within families. Louise Crowley, what legal basis does the word strive have? How enforceable will it be? I suppose um, strive, sorry, strive represents um, a recognition that the state does have a role in relation to supporting care. Um, Strive is a word that is um, less strong, I would be the first to admit. It's it's less ideal than we would like it. It does not mirror what was proposed by the Citizens' Assembly. Is it less strong than endeavour, which is the word that's there previously? So that's arguable. I mean, endeavour is there um, and it has been actioned by in a number of cases and it has not given rise to rights for women who were choosing to work within the home in terms of financial gain. And so um, it would be somewhat on a par. It would it would be interesting to see how it would evolve. But I think what it does do is that by inserting the words strive to support the provision of care is that for the first time we have in our constitution a constitutional statement of some form of obligation on the state to recognise the range of persons who can provide care beyond that of one identified person that being the woman and in striving to support such provision we for the first time have a constitutional platform for this matter to be progressed so I would see this as an important provision not ideal but it is certainly better than not having anything at all in the constitution for the persons all persons who provide care. Maria Steen, you object. Why? I do. I mean, I've listened to various um, legal academics talking about the importance of symbolism in the Constitution. Uh, And we have to ask ourselves, what is the symbolism of erasing the word woman, erasing the word mother and erasing the word home? It's erasing the word mother. It isn't erasing the word woman. It does erase the word woman. There are two other references to women in the Constitution, both times in relation to women's rights as workers, interestingly enough. Uh, but um, it erases the word woman, mother and home from Article 41.2. Now, and the symbol of that, uh, symbolism of that, I think, is a very negative one. Um, secondly, just to say, Article 41.2 does two things. It firstly expresses gratitude for the work that women do in their homes for their families. And I don't think that gratitude is ever outdated or anachronistic. And secondly, it expresses an aspiration that the government should support women, mothers, not women, but mothers, Others who wish to stay at home with their children, that they shouldn't be prevented from doing so because of economic necessity. Now, there are some people who will say, well, look, that's never actually, you know, come to anything in reality. Uh, you know, it hasn't, uh, on the one hand, it hasn't prevented women going out to work outside the home, but it hasn't really helped women to stay in the home. And that's because of the policy of successive governments who have done nothing to support women who want to stay at home. Only last week, uh, a poll found that 69% of mothers with dependent children would wish to stay at home full time if money were no object. Now, successive governments have failed to support women in their desires. And I think while it may not have done much up until now, sending a signal by giving a no vote to the government sends a very strong signal that we expect you to do better. The word mother or mothers, as you said, will be taken out of the Constitution. Just to be clear, the word fathers will remain in the Constitution. In the opening to the Constitution, it says we, the people of Air, are humbly acknowledging all our obligations to our divine Lord Jesus Christ, who sustained our fathers through centuries of trial. Louise Crowley, what's the significance of the move of taking mothers out of the Constitution, in your view? 
I think um, that uh, in terms of Article 41.2.1, what we are doing here is we are not removing mothers from the Constitution. What we are doing is that we are including all persons who provide care. Care is shared and if it isn't, it ought to be shared. This proposed amendment to uh, change Article 41.2.1 is really critical. I mean, this is not a trivial matter. I personally uh, and professionally applaud this frankly overdue proposal to eradicate what I regard to be as unnecessary and indeed worthless provision which expressly and unashamedly identifies on an entirely gendered basis the duties of a woman in the home and for me it implicitly suggests that to work outside the home is to neglect those identified duties to the detriment of the family and broader society and I suppose as a mother of three and a full-time worker uh, outside the home I take great pride uh, alongside my husband and my children in our collective responsibility for the well-being of our home and quite frankly I deeply resent the unavoidable implication that in contributing to the paid workplace that somehow uh, in securing my income outside the home that this is to the cost of those identified and expressly identified duties that I have in the home with no mention of my husband. So as far as I'm concerned, it's less about removing women and more about embracing uh, the role of all persons in the home to provide care. Duties and neglect, Maria Steen. Yes, and in fact, they're mentioned in Article 42A in respect of parents, which includes fathers. Almost identical language is used, in fact, in in relation to the failure of duty. This is specific to women because it is addressing an issue that since time immemorial, women have wanted to spend time with their children. Many of us, Gavin, you know, um, there are many women out there who have suffered from infertility, who may have gone through countless, um, uh, you know, pregnancy losses and eventually they have the baby they've been dreaming of. Our children's childhood goes by so quickly. What is wrong with supporting women who want to spend that time with their children while they're young and cherish those years? And the fact of the matter is, I totally applaud Louise and all the other working mums out there who do an amazing job and, you know, are, are so eminently qualified and so on. But there are many women who wish to stay at home and I don't think it should be a competition or something between various different mothers. We should all be supporting each other. I support the rights of mothers to work outside the home but I also think it's important that we should support the choice of women who want to stay at home. And and there are many women who are working outside the home who would prefer to be at home with their children for the years. What difference would change this constitution make to any of them? Like I say, it would send a signal to government because ultimately this is a government policy issue that needs to change and this would send a very clear... But you're not voting on government policy. But we are voting to tell the government to change change the policy. And that's what this, uh, that's the signal that voting no would, would send. Um, Apologies that I can't go back uh, to Louise Crowley. We have given equal time to both guests, or at least we've tried to as much as possible uh, in this debate. A reminder uh, that the voting takes place on Friday, March the 8th. It is a little too late now. The deadline for making sure that you were on the register was earlier this week, but there will be a subsequent referendum later on this year and subsequent votes earlier on uh, or later on this year as well. But that voting takes place on March the 8th. Louise Crowley and Marie Steen, thank you both very much for coming into our studios today. We'll be talking about Ukraine next.